Hi, my name is Dominica Rice, and I'm the chef and owner of Bombera Restaurant in Oakland, California, and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we will be talking with chefs and food authors about their favorite ingredients. We then talk to the producer of that ingredient. We want to learn its history, how it's made, and why chefs love using it in their kitchens. Well, today we're going to be talking about something simple, delicious. It's orange colored Mm -hmm. and it grows in the ground. Do you know what it is? Bugs Bunny's favorite vegetable. Oh, you're very good, Andrea. Carrots. Yes, we're going to be talking with Chef Dominica Rice. And she's from Oakland, California. Yeah. The chef at Bombera. Yeah, I've heard it's amazing. Have not been. She um, wanted to talk about carrots. There's a, a dish that's near and dear to her heart. So that'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Do you eat a lot of carrots? I do eat a lot of carrots. Well, how do you eat them? Usually, I'm dip- I think of them as like a vessel almost to get mm-hmm. dips into my mouth. Oh. So, you know, are hummus. Are you buying those bags of the like little bunny baby carrots? 100%. Interesting. Do you, okay. do you not? I mean, listen, I, I also like- I do not buy those. I do not. Ever? I am opposed to them. I used Why? to buy them when my daughters were young and like- Oh, they're like kids food? It was a thing food? for kids. Yeah, but I totally do not participate. In fact, I don't really see them in the store anymore. I see them all over the store. Maybe I'm just not looking. Wow, you go to much, you know, maybe adult grocery stores, John. No, I just don't see those little baby, and they're mm. not even baby carrots. Those things, those are carrots yep. that were like put into a machine. But no, I love carrots, and I've gotten in the last whatever it is, like the last couple of weeks. There's a French carrots out. Whenever I go, if if I'm lucky to get to Europe, mm-hmm. and I'm in Paris. And you go to a really fine like butcher shop, they make this carrot salad. And mm-hmm. all it is is shredded carrots, a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of salt, and you can put a you can put a little bit of honey in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just the essence of carrots. Yeah. It's so delicious. Um you know, we took a recipe off of uh, the chef David Leibovitz, who mm-hmm. lives in Paris. He's got this carrot salad recipe. I'm giving him the shout out for that. It's so good. It's addictive. I just eat bowls of it. I I think, you know, yes, I love eating, you know, baby carrots with dip. But if you're, you know, really talking, you know, cooking them, I my mind immediately goes Middle Eastern. So, yeah. you know, roasting them with, you know, a za'atar spice, topping mm-hmm. them with pumpkin seeds or um, like a labna yogurt sauce, um, a lot of herbs. You know, I I think that carrots for me it's it's comfort, it's homey. Uh, it makes me think of the fall. Um, even though you can eat them all the time, for me it's something that you know I love making carrot soup. I put ginger in there, warming uh-huh. spices. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting excited, John. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun episode talking all about carrots. Yes, we're going to be talking with Chef Dominica Rice and the our fame our friend the farmer. Yeah. Um, Char- Sean Mindrum. Yep. From Comanche, Comanche Creek Farms Creek. in amazing. California. A great farm. Comanche Creek is you know this is like a boutique farmer of some of the finest stuff. We carry his products at uh, our Greenleaf division in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also available across the country at Chef's Warehouse, all our produce divisions. Yep, all of our produce, you, you know, available at chefswarehouse.com. Can't wait to talk about carrots, John. This season of Ingredient Insiders is brought to you by Bazzini Nuts. Bazzini is the brand of choice among chefs in the finest hotels and restaurants. 
Their legacy of quality extends to gourmet retail stores, specialty boutiques, grocery distributors, and delis, ensuring you have access to their extensive range of consumer retail packages. It all started in 1886 when Italian immigrant Anthony L. Bazzini began selling nuts by the pound to bakers, street vendors, and individuals during the Great Depression. But Bazzini Nuts isn't just about peanuts. They offer a delightful array of nuts like cashews, almonds, pecans, pistachios, hazelnuts, and more, plus a tempting selection of dried fruit, including apricots, cranberries, figs, dates, prunes, and tomatoes. So whether at the ballpark, in the kitchen, or indulging in some well-deserved self-care, choose Bazzini Nuts. With a legacy spanning 137 years, they're here to serve your needs with the same consistency, reliability, and quality, making them an iconic name in the world of nuts and dried fruits. Bazzini Nuts, tradition, quality, and taste all in one. Taste the legacy today. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Gotham Production Studios in New York City. John, I am so ready for this episode. You we, are? Yeah, I'm excited to be talking to Dominica Rice. She's joining us from Oakland, California. Oakland in the house. She's the chef owner of Bombera Restaurant. And welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, we're just, I'm obsessed with zanorias. So pickled carrots, but it's a spicy thing. It's a spicy pickled carrots. So that's for me. I'm just like very excited to be here uh, again, representing Oakland all the time, representing California all the time. Um, but I used to work in New York in the 90s, back in 90. Five and ninety six, and I had a great time. It was amazing. Where did you work? I had two jobs, so I was working. Um, I needed a stable union job because I was afraid I was going to get fired. I was a very young chef, so I was worked at the Four Seasons Hotel. I was just like, I, I, I just like, I wanted to work for the best hotel in New York, yep. and then and that was it. And I worked for their restaurant. And back then, it was um, fifty seven. Fifty seven was their yep. restaurant on Fifty Seventh Street. Yep. Uh-huh. And then I, on my days off, I was a winter intern the whole winter with, um, at Danielle's on, I think it was like a random day, whatever random day I had off. So I'd work like a 12 hour shift for free. And it would, the chef de cuisine was Alex Lee, yep. who's an amazing chef in um, New York. And he kind of really helped me kind of, like, he was a really great teacher. You know what I mean? But at the same time, he would, they weren't paying me. So mm -hmm. it was like, they were a bit relaxed. <laughs> yeah, we got to get Alex on the podcast. Alex is a friend of mine. Alex taught me more about tasting and developing my palate than anybody in this industry. Really? What? Because every time I would walk in the kitchen of Restaurant Danielle to sell them a product or present a product, Alex would say, "John, taste this," mm -hmm. and then he'd say, "Now taste this." The same thing, whatever it was. If mm -hmm. it was a peach, if it was a carrot, yeah, he'd say, "Taste this one." Okay, and now taste this one. And by doing that, you understand the subtle differences in flavor and- In ingredients. And to this day, and you know, I think Alex listens to the podcast, I, I always credit Alex with being wow. somebody very influential. Alex, he also used to yell listening. at me too sometimes when I'd get in the kitchen, <laughs> but that's a whole other story if the price was too high or he wasn't happy about something. So Dominica, tell us, so you were in New York for a while. Did you grow up in California? Where did you grow up? Mexican heritage? You grew up in LA, right? Yes. I'm, I'm, it's a funny story. I was talking to my mom. I'm Mexican American. 
my mother's Mexican-American, um, and we both were born and raised in um, Chinatown. And then when she was like in high school, she went to this small part of uh, near Pasadena that was called Igor. It's, it's LA, but it's like the very last edge of Los Angeles. It's up against Glendale and Pasadena. And she went there for summer school one year. And so she's like, one day I'm gonna live there. So she sent us there for like the rest of like um, elementary and high school. She had sent us there. And it's such a nice neighborhood because you're up against, it's like Glen Rock. So it's part of Glendale, part of Eagle Rock, Pasadena. So for myself, you know, in the early, early eighties, like I was all about like, okay, where do I want to work? And I want to work. So I started working really young when I was 14. And, you know, these small towns like Eagle Rock and Highland Park, you know, there's not much there. So I had to leave. So I had to go to Pasadena. I had to go to Glendale to kind of see what, you know, that was like kind of, that was had more fine dining going oh, on. Always so, in restaurants. Always in restaurants. I was going to ask, my, like, what was the appeal to restaurants? Like, how did you get into cooking? Was it your mom? It's the whole family, actually. Um, and that's what I'm like wanted to talk to you later about this book I was reading called The Migrant Chef by um, Lalo Garcia and Laura Tillman. And there just talks a lot about what looks like my family history. You know, my, my grandparents were farm workers and then at some point moved to Los Angeles after close to retirement age. And so that kind of changed everything for my mom. She never grew had that experience like her older siblings of growing up in the farm and being born in the farms of California working the piscas what that's what it's called here in california you work just for a few months for the harvest and you go to the next farm so um you're constantly like a nomad in california mm -hmm. hard for kids so for my mom she never experienced that for her whole life is los angeles so i kind of thought my for as a chef i'm like oh and maybe i started off on the wrong footing as a chef because i was born in la but in reality is the best because you have so many different cultures and you're it's it's dreamy I think LA, I say this often yeah, to Andrea, John, I think LA uh... to me is the richest culinary city in America, if not maybe the world. I don't I know, it. that may be saying a little much, but there's so many different types of cuisine there. And, yes. you know, if you're so looking for the best, you know, Asian type of cuisine, mm -hmm. specifically from, you know, Vietnam or Thailand or Japan, wherever it is. There's so much depth there. So then let's jump ahead. How did you end up in Northern California? You went to New York. Uh, God, when I was around 19, I was deciding, you know, I'm, it's, I started seeing more women chefs being promoted in all over California. And I was like, okay, this can happen. I can actually, it wouldn't be a waste for me to go to culinary school and start my my serious career and then in the end i will at some point become an executive chef you know so i felt comfortable doing that so i just made the decision and at 20 i was already in the culinary program in san francisco and you know had the best time i was very very blessed and um met so many people and i was able to get to know more about like even vietnamese ingredients so it was kind of Interesting growing up in Los Angeles, I was around a lot of Filipino ingredients, Mexican-American markets, um, Chinese-American, but in the Northern California, it was more Central American. So a lot of people from El Salvador, and I kind of feel like this obsession with the 
pickled carrots and mm -hmm. as my favorite ingredients would be from maybe from kitchens from El Salvador. And you see a lot of that here in um, the Bay Area, especially San Francisco. That's let's, awesome. Let's jump into those pickled yeah. carrots because I love carrots, oh, Andrea. Me too. In every form. Mm -hmm. Raw, cooked, grilled. I've never met a carrot I don't like. But talk to us about <laughs> talk to us about pickled carrots. What is it about the pickled carrot? So um, in Mexico, you have a lot of that pickled veggies, especially you've seen them everywhere. The pickled jalapenos are super famous and everybody knows how to make their own pickled carrots. And you always kind of, as an accident or just to kind of like a mirepoix to flavor the vinegar that you're going to be poaching the carrots in, they add a little bit of garlic, um, oregano, onion, and carrot, mm -hmm. right? So you have that in every can, if you or if you make it yourself, the recipe always includes a little bit of like the slices of carrots. But um, it's the main focus is always like these jalapenos. Mm -hmm. Either they're, they're cut in rajas or left whole or split in half. You can buy them in all different kinds of ways. But um, in the Mexican markets, what I've noticed is there's they've even gone further. And I'm not sure how many years that this has been going on, but I've noticed it more and more the past 25 years is that they'll just dedicate a can of the same jalapeno pickle liquid. It's like whatever they didn't package, they're they're just blanching all the carrots in there and canning it mm -hmm. or putting it in jars. And it's delicious. I, I prefer it. I can make them myself, of course, but it's so nice just to have it in the cupboards and um, they sell them in small cans. But... I prefer them in cans, not jars, for hmm. some reason. I think the jars I've tried taste more Italian, which is also delicious, but their oregano is extremely different than the Mexican oregano. Absolutely. So, and a lot of people don't know about that, that, that there's just such a huge difference of oreganos that is really important to, if you don't have Mexican oregano um, from a Mexican market, you know, I would prefer to use like a fresh marjoram mm -hmm. herb and just call it a day or just use cilantro, not yeah. use it oregano. It's funny. I was reading in preparation for this, um, you know, I was Googling, you know, pickled carrots and Mexican pickled carrots. And I kept these pickled jalapenos kept coming up. And I'm like, I don't yeah. understand. Like, uh, what, what <laughs> am I doing something wrong? And then I read this blog and it was this, uh, you know, female chef who was talking about that the carrots within the pickled jalapenos were like a, like a, like the prize that yes. she used to like fight with her siblings over who was going to get the carrot because that was like the tastiest part of the of the pickled jalapeno so it all kind of made sense that you know this was very special and i don't does it is it like remind you of childhood at all or is it something that you found in Oakland um for me like there was, it was always in my grandmother's house okay. the, the, the and the pickles. I can't remember if she would make them herself. And, but that, that sweetness that it gives, it's kind of becomes like your, the blog and, and what you're saying, it's very kind of gateway drug to the jalapeno. <laughs> so this is, I have a picky eater at home okay. as my kid. And I've talked to other people about picky eaters. And I remember this one Mexicana mom talking to me about, um, when she was a kid, her mom would just use, and this is what I do, is I put the pickled juice into things that I want spicy. Mm -hmm. So there is a 
some big piece of jalapenos that are that are ruining their palate, but you're getting the heat into whatever, if it's a rice dish or if it's a- I like that. Yeah. Or if it's in a vinaigrette or if it's in a potato salad. And I kind of feel like I was, like it'd be a nice ingredient for more people to look at in the East Coast because they're trying to like, find ways to spice up a coleslaw, you know, and that kind of Mexican oregano and carrots um, chopped in or just left in whole with some of the vinegar. And then an Americana cooking here in the U.S., we use a lot of pickle juice. We love it, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Right. And like for potato salads, always have some pickle juice. And I was um, thinking martini. As soon as oh, you said it, like saving it, I'm like, could you make a martini with this? Why not? Why not, right? Yeah, my mind is not as you know sharp as yours. So oh, yeah, you're, well, you're three hours behind us. So what time well, is me, it here? It's 2.45. <laughs> it's martini uh, time. Uh, I want to say it, we are so deprived on the East Coast of these great Mexican food products. Yeah. When I think if I go to anywhere in California mm -hmm. and I go to a taco, really like one of my favorite taco places, mm -hmm. they will have those bars, like condiment yes. bars with all different types of salsas and pico de gallo. But the really good ones have those beautiful homemade zanjarias. And I yeah. love that. And I've never contemplated like the brine for it is right. a great ingredient. Like what a... What a great flavoring. Can you walk <laughs> us through exactly how you make yours? And, you know, we'll take your, we want your family secrets. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, my, my, most of the people who grew, who were cooking at my house were, it was my grandmother and she's from Chihuahua, Mexico. She's a desert woman. And, um, she came here when she was around uh, a teenager and, um, my grandfather is also a desert uh, from Guanajuato. He's a desert guy. So it's a different kind of cooking in Mexico. It's mostly dried oregano, dried chilies, dried corn, dried meat, like machacas. And um, then you go down to Mexico City and southern Mexico down to Oaxaca or Chiapas. And it's so tropical. I mean, there's there's microclimates and it's like jungles and red clay and like tropical bananas everywhere and guavas, but you don't get any of that stuff in the North. So it's like, you can mm -hmm. get it shipped in. So like the things that we do um, love are like this staple. And we do have a lot of in the North, this German, Spanish, Mexican and indigenous diet that's all mixed together. And so there's a lot of cheese, a lot of beef and a lot of red chili and beans. And um, I kind of, that zanoria, it's just, you kind of make a little bit of a quick batch at home. I would do like maybe one jalapeno or one serrano pepper. And if you have a, maybe like four carrots or three carrots or two carrots, it's fine. And like one half uh, of an onion. And that could be kept in slices. And um, a little teaspoon or half a teaspoon of oregano dried mexican oregano or fresh marjoram mm -hmm. something fresh would be very nice if you have that in the garden and um i would do the ratio for me would be around um i would start with two cups of water and um maybe three quarters cup of a white vinegar uh, something like a champagne vinegar mm -hmm. and um i'm writing this down john don't worry Okay. about at start with two tablespoons of salt and then just taste it i would add the oregano and about a tablespoon of olive oil and just taste that 
that um, for a second and let's see how it is with acidity. You want it to be a nice sharpness and um, you know, everybody has pickles all the time and almost daily for, uh, for me. So at that point I would add um, the jalapeno that's cut in half. I would add also a, one garlic clove cut in half and the onion that's been sliced. I would add that to your, uh, I don't know, court bouillon or your, your um, and just let that um, simmer for about 10 minutes. And then you can also at this point add a bay leaf, that helps. And then taste that and see how you feel. But as you're doing, as it's simmering slowly, you'd wanna be cleaning your carrots. So usually they're peeled and sliced carrots. And I haven't seen them in any other way. I haven't seen them julienned at all. So you can be cut on a bias, that's fine. But they're usually just straight on dead mm -hmm. cut. Like, like rounds or rings. Yeah. yeah. And, and prep that up. And then at the last second, then you can just add all of your carrots to this, um, this kind of hot corp bouillon brine, pickle brine, and then just simmer it um, for like, God, maybe three minutes and just cover it and then take it off the burner and leave it alone and just let it sit. Um, some people also will just pour it over a glass bowl of the carrots in the bowl mm -hmm. and just let it sit. So they'll still be a little crunchy. Be, they're, they're not completely soft, but um, that for me is like the best. I love it. And some people, if you want it to be go smoky on this recipe, you can add a little, little bit of um, chipotle chili powder mm -hmm. or one dried chipotle to this. It will give that um, a little bit of like reddish color, and it'll give it a little again like that beefiness of that smoke mm -hmm. uh, of that pepper to the carrots, which is lovely. So you can have two batches of carrots. It's so yeah. delicious. It's a, and it's a great like healthy snack yeah. too. Yeah. How do you incorporate um, the pickled carrots into the menu at Bombera at your restaurant? Oh. Well, I make a, actually I make a smoked trout um, tostada and I never really would eat trout at all until I moved to like, uh, or smoked any of those smoked fishes at all ever in my childhood, zero. Until I moved to New York and I started seeing all the smoked fishes mm -hmm. and cold smoke and hot smoked. Um, and so that kind of smoked trout kind of always stayed with me. I loved it so much. And so now I serve it on a tostada with the carrots and with an avocado. I make my own kind of, um, it's kind of avocado with sour cream and mayonnaise and pickle juice. You know, this nice. is like the most making like an aioli or something. I would add like a pickle juice to that, but a spicy one, you know, just enough heat. But I make, it's like an avocado crema and the, I put in the, and I serve that on a bed of arugula and a little bit of sh um, like toasted shallots on top. But the thing is like, that is one of our really top sellers at the restaurant. And that's something I made just for Bombera restaurant. Um, before that, I had my restaurant for 10 years called Cosecha in downtown Oakland. And for us, I'm trying to remember what we used the pickled carrots there for. I think it was with the fish tacos. So at Cosecha restaurant, we were using that a lot, that kind of pickled liquid and pickled jalapeno as a garnish for the, for the 
fish tacos and in the slaw that would be in with the so not everything has to be lime juice so if you have a recipe and it calls for lime juice and it's not a margarita then i would go for the pickle juice instead it's a great idea i'm even thinking about like beer like i'm not i'm gonna say beer batter but like battering uh fish you can use some of the pickle juice you know in that um like standard breading procedure to add impart flavor into the fish mm-hmm. I don't think I've like really, I want to play around with that. Definitely. Exciting. Tell us more about the restaurant. When did the restaurant open? Um, and what uh, does it during, mean? I don't know, during COVID, uh, we were, I've been working on this project. So Bombera restaurant literally means female firefighter. And we're in the center of Oakland in a really beautiful neighborhood. It's Fruitvale, Diamond, Laurel. <clears throat> And it's like, it's like almost like four neighborhoods in one, which is really nice. And I used to live around the corner and my friend's a firefighter and he's like, oh, they're selling the firehouse. It's been abandoned for about 25 years. And so the firehouse has been there forever. It's always been a firehouse. It's changed design a few times, but it's like this old, it looks like an old gymnasium. So I um, started the process of changing the use permit, working with city council, working with my architect and working with my bank and deciding since 2017 to kind of slowly start changing this old one story long firehouse into um, a restaurant. And I was very, very blessed that we were able to get all of that done, even with COVID and that my staff actually wanted to keep working with me and and help me (laughs) run it. So I'm just like, okay, I also try to give them an exit plan, you know, like for some of my cooks who've been with me forever. I'm like, okay, if you want to take over Cosecha, I can co-sign. We have four more years on a good lease. But, you know, downtown has changed. So for me, I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to kind of crack that new code of what uh, downtown needs Mm -hmm. as far as Zoom meetings and lunch. And before it was easier, but now it's a bit tough. And um it's not, it's kind of coming back definitely. But for us, we're kind of ended up moving to a neighborhood where most of our customers already live. So we're kind of closer to our home base. Yeah. So our, our regular customers are like, thank God you're here closer to us. We never go to downtown. So it's more like and a so- neighborhood restaurant. Oh yes. And it has a huge patio in front. So it kind of gives off that Los Angeles mm-hmm. vibes, you know, sure. that I, and and you want that kind of front patio and we've been very blessed it's been successful for um two years and this year we finally received our official uh michelin gourmand bib so it's like congratulations that's wonderful so happy so i'm just like okay you know we're doing we're we're on the right track yeah i mean i'm thinking about in the beginning of this conversation you contemplated as a female chef can I make this a career? And right. you end up, you know, buying a firehouse and <laughs> calling it Bombera, which means female firefighter. I mean, I feel like that's like the culmination of your of like your of a female chef dream. You like achieved yes. your goal. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And then, what does that um, feel like? No, it feels great. It feels great. We're, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. I think, I think, you know, all my ancestors and gods every day. I love that. Well, I have one question that I end every interview with, 
And I'm very excited to hear what your list is. But we ask each guest, what are the five pantry staples that you have to have in your home at all times, no matter what? Well, definitely start with kosher salt Mm -hmm. or some nice salt that's already kind of pre-ground because I hate having to put it back in a mortar and pestle and grinding it up again. So if it's too coarse, but um, I cook a lot at home. I always have in the freezer, doesn't have to be just pantry because I freeze. I think of fridge, freezer, any freezers are good. Yeah. I have some kind of, I always try to buy um, bacon at the farmer's market and stockpile it in the freezer. So, cause my kid's favorite pasta is pasta carbonara. Mm. Nice. Uh, so that I always have to, some good parm. I have some great pastas and um, eggs, like some farm fresh eggs. And there's, um, we, I go to the farmer's market every Tuesday for work and every Thursday. So um, I'm always picking stuff up for home as well. And then, but definitely some really good, I really am obsessed for the past 10 years, I've been using the Seca Hills olive oil. Mm. And there's the Native uh, American tribe here in Catch Creek, Sacramento area, Yolo County, that they own, you know, this huge acreage and they do a lot of really great olive oil. And I, so I have a jug of that. And if I can't get Seca Hill olive oil at home, I get another jug of olive oil from the farmer's market, something buttery. I don't like any uh, olive oils that are too spicy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they serve a purpose, but for my day-to-day go-to. Um, so I think I'm like, all my ingredients yeah. are like, and the Mexican. I was going to say, like, you're, you're, you know, that was like an Italian, Italian that was pantry. the Italian, that was the, you could make uh, spaghetti carbonara with what you just described pretty I much. I would let Dominica <laughs> make us spaghetti carbonara oh, hell yes. any day. Why not? <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, we got to go visit when we're out in Oakland, Andrea. You can follow Dominica at Dominica Rice on Instagram and at Bombera Oakland on Instagram. Please. Yes. Thank you. Meet Iliata Extra Virgin Olive Oil, the liquid gold that transforms everyday meals into gourmet experiences. Picture this, a drizzle of Iliata Extra Virgin Olive Oil in a sizzling pan the aroma of fresh herbs, and the sound of a perfectly seared steak. With Iliata, cooking becomes an art and your dishes will dazzle every sense. Are you looking for a multi-awarded extra virgin olive oil that is ideal for every occasion? Try Iliata Kalamata PDO to cook and fry or just sprinkle over your dishes. It's ideal for grilled fish, white and red meat, pasta, vegetables, sauces, and salad dressings. Top chefs, hotels, restaurants, and catering experts choose Iliata every day because it brings out the natural flavor of every ingredient. Don't miss out. So, John, today's a special day. Oh, yeah? We are at our NorCal Expo at the Oakland Coliseum. Yes. We're sitting in the officials room. Yes. Which is pretty cool. Very cool. With our good friend, Sean Mindrum. Return visitor. Yes. When you have... A celebrity farmer like we have here today yep. from Comanche Creek, you get him on as many times as you possibly can. And Sean, what are we talking about today? I believe carrots. We are talking about carrots. Yum. Do you like carrots, Sean? I love carrots. And how many different carrots are you currently growing at Comanche? Well, I don't think we need to talk about varieties, but I would have to say as far as colors are concerned, yeah. I think we're probably growing probably 
10 to 14 different colors. Now there's probably, when I say that, probably five of those are just different shades of okay. orange. Are carrots hard to grow? I wouldn't say they're hard to grow. I would say that it's super important to have very moist soil. That soil shouldn't be too clayey and it definitely shouldn't be too rocky or you're going to turn out with those nice little furry looking carrots. Or those they, like odd shaped ones yeah. that look right. like little people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Seen yeah. those, Andrea? Um, I've seen them on Instagram. So what? Let's talk about growing season. So carrots, when do you put those in the ground? So we just put some in the ground about three weeks ago. And what are we in? September. So we're going into cooler months. So then you can come out of the cooler months and go into summer. So it's kind of you're playing the best of both sides, but you definitely need the cooler temperatures for the carrots to either one end with or come out with. Mm -hmm. But you, they hold though. But you once you correct. Yeah. Do you put is it seeds in the ground or you make little starters starters and then you seeds. put the starters in there? Direct direct into the ground. See oh seeds direct yeah. into yep. the ground. Correct. And then how long does it take from start to finish for like the average carrot? You roughly got about a little under three months for some and you can go as far as six months for others. Depending on the temperature of the soil and the temperature of outside. I don't think we appreciate our produce as much as we should. Think about like when you buy a carrot mm -hmm. at the market, you take it home, you peel it down. Mm -hmm. And then just like half the time, I just eat it raw right at the right. counter. I was like, yeah. And it takes three to six months yeah. for that thing to grow. And here I am like a gavon at home. Just eating it in 30 seconds. I was telling Sean. We need to have more reverence for our yeah, produce. I just planted two rows of carrots right before we left. Oh, really? Yeah. In my garden. I want to I wanted to Are try they it. Are going to make it through the winter? I'm hoping you that- need three months. I know, but I'm hoping that, I mean, it's been so hot. I'm hoping that it's going to hold before the frost. And I think you were about to ask the question I'm about to ask, which is, so after they grow- Yes. Do, do, I've heard this before. Do carrots and like root vegetables get better- if they sit in like a root cellar or is it better just to consume them as fresh as possible? Or you just can hold them for So storage. the carrots will turn, they'll get drier. And okay. with anything, it's the sugars are going to overtake the water and the sugars are going to spike up for a brief period of time and mm -hmm. then they're going to drop and then you're going to have something that's dry and oh. not very fun to eat. Similar to like hard squash. Hard squash, certain ones are really good for almost three to four months out because the sugars get higher. But then, of course, then also you're going to be dealing with a drier product and carrots are quite similar. Carrots basically, you know, they're great when you pull them right out of the ground, wash them off, let them sit for maybe a day, and they got a ton of water in them. But then as they sit, yes, the sugars are going to go up, but you're dealing with a drier product in your mouth. Sean was a private chef for 38 years. He told us that on the last episode that we were on. But then, you know, how do you know so much about farming? I mean, you've been doing this for how many years now? It's almost five. Did five you do years? your research before or is this like a learn as you go? Like This was learn as you go. The prior gentleman that I purchased the farm from um, definitely gave me some good start and hung around for the following year for me to kind of understand what he was doing. And then like anything, even being a chef, you're basically what you're working around and who you're working with has more sometimes information and knowledge than you do. 
So to grab from what you already currently have and to bring those people together, you can work faster and stronger than if I was just to do it by myself. Similar to working in a kitchen, you might stumble upon the, the fact that the dishwasher is actually peeling ginger with a spoon and yet I was using a peeler. Well, right. so who would have thought? So there's something that somebody else is, has more knowledge of. You just need to grab from all of them. That's pretty much how I've come to this day, being able to turn out the quality product that we are turning out and for Greenleaf to purchase so much product from us. So, And you grow organically. So uh-huh. no, 100%. no pesticides or anything inorganic or chemicals or anything like that, which is amazing. No, we don't have any uh, insecticides. We don't. We do purchase um, organic fertilizer, but even that we're going to start to wean out because we can take our byproduct and our byproduct can turn around and make compost. And from that compost, we can turn around and utilize less fertilizers, which basically inhibit the ground anyway. Amazing. That's awesome. Let's play a fun game that we've done before, which I love to do. Okay. We're going to go through the calendar year in about five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the month. Okay. And then Sean, I want you to tell me what's going on at Comanche Creek. What's growing? Oh, we love this game. What's either in the ground or coming out of the ground. Okay. Right? January. Carrots. Yep. Cabbage. Kales. Uh, rutabaga. Turnip. Parsnip. Mm. I just want to know everything they grow at Comanche Creek. That's why I asked what that would probably be <laughs> Is for that February. Us, similar February. February, February. You're looking at more um, some broccolis. Okay. Some brassicas are definitely coming out of the ground. Um, purple broccoli, dino kale. Uh, we've got uh, decisi. Purple decisi. What's decisi? Yeah, I don't, what is that? They're um, Broccoli shoots. Oh. Or little florets. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much about it. March. March. Now you're starting to look Spring yeah, at the corner. Sugar snap peas. Mm-hmm. Uh English peas. Um still have all the kales going. You're starting to look at lettuce now. Mm-hmm. Braising mix, arugula, um, red mustard. Dandelion greens. I'm, I'm salivating. I, I know. And this, okay, we're not even halfway through the year. Yep. April, May. And you're now you're look, planting too, right? You're pulling and planting. You're, in March, you're already turning around and all your starters from tomatoes to peppers that you started in December are all starting to come out depending on how cold the weather is and what's been going on. Our first tomato plant goes in at Comanche in usually March 15th. Do you have a greenhouse to do starters? We have three. Three greenhouses. How many acres, acres is the whole yeah. farm? Yeah. It's now, we started with 18 when I first purchased Whoa. it. Yeah. Then we went to 40. Oh, my. And just this year, we just purchased another 20. So now we're at 60. Incredible. John, but, we need wait, to go. I know. I want to. Uh, we have to go. All right. Wait. Keep going, though. Let's uh, April. I mean, we're getting to the like All right, fun Sunday yeah, April, now I'm May, excited. June. So now we're in June. Now you have almost everything. Now you have probably the beginnings of the first uh, red tomato. You've got cherry tomatoes for sure. You've got summer squash there at Comanche Creek. We've got, uh, we just reduced the, the amount of varieties. And now we're at 22 varieties of summer squash. 
Um, and then we've got. Are you talking uh, like patty pans and all of that? Patty pans, uh, straight neck, crook neck, mm-hmm. uh, gold bar, zucchini, uh, safari, all of that. green zucchini, which there's like nine different green colors. And then you've got eight ball, cue uh, ball. Then we've got, what else do we say? Starburst, um, Sunburst. Uh, there's a couple other ones I'm not thinking of right now. But um, yeah. Okay, All right. so that's now June. Now let's go to like We're in the summer July, now, August, August, September. So you, now you're at your heirlooms. July, usually around July 5th to 10th, we suddenly see our first heirloom come out of the ground and we grow 42 different varieties. Yes. Sometimes it'll drop down a little bit. But yes, we have some unbelievable varieties of heirlooms. The tomatoes here taste so much better than just about anywhere on 100%. the planet, in my opinion. Like, they're so good. I would, I have been around this planet. Yep. And I can't say that I've been to every continent, but I've been to a few. And I can say honestly that every time that I've been somewhere else and I've been for a long period of time, I always want to come back to California because of the produce. It hands down, it doesn't matter what, where it grows or how great it is. It, I used to, my little funny joke was the fact that the reason they have some, some of the best chefs in New York is because they have some of the crummiest produce. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of. I think there's a lot <laughs> yep. of truth in that statement. The yeah. raw materials here are so amazing. And you're talking about the varietals and that's really like yesterday, John, we were walking through that market. The Berkeley Bowl. The Berkeley Bowl. And the varietals in the stone fruit, the pluots, the nectarines, the peaches. I mean, you go to a market in New York, you might get a couple. You might have one pluot. There was like four, six different varieties here that you just don't get there. Yeah. No, and I, it's... I actually, like when I texted you the picture of the pluot last night, yeah. I thought, why can't we get this? Like, why aren't, why isn't anyone moving it across the country? Because well, I think. Because there's a lot, and this is a whole other discussion yeah. that we could have. And Sean, I mean, would be the first to chime in. There's the commercial industrial right. produce machine mm-hmm. that is relying upon pretty looking fruit, which and then flavors and afterthought and right. shelf, flavorless fruit and shelf life and looks are what matter. And that's unfortunate because what people who really love cooking and food and flavor yeah. are not as concerned with how something looks versus how it tastes. And mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in mass supermarkets, we eat with our eyes. Yeah, we eat with our eyes, yep. and that's fifty percent of it. Yes, well, I want. But more... there are also a lot of things in California that just don't travel right. well. Unfortunately, that's true. You know, to get you know, I don't. Do you grow any fruits like apricots? Like you know. So we, when we first purchased the farm, we turned around and we planted three hundred fig trees. Mm. We planted a hundred uh, persimmon trees. We planted pluots, plums, white nectarines, and yellow nectarines. And then that same year, at the very end of the season, um, the deer came oh. and <laughs> decided to chew on all those little things. Yeah. So then we didn't get any fruit. And this is a first year of fruit because we put up a big eight-foot deer fence around the entire farm. Amazing. Yeah. But the, but to, the point is, like yesterday when we were in the Berkeley Bowl, I saw... A basket of fresh figs, and to when you I, you bought a basket of fresh very, figs. Yeah, of course I jumped. Bought, I was like going crazy. I did too. That was it's my dinner. Very rare. I hate to say this when you're on the East Coast mm-hmm. and you see fig. Like either they might be as hard as rocks yep. and have no flavor, mm-hmm. 
or they're about to fall apart, which right. isn't the end of the world. But it's you just don't see them in general because nobody wants to handle them. It's and true. the same thing with like a beautiful apricot and a lot of different delicate fruits and vegetables. Yeah. It's the curse of the East Coast, I just, Andrea. I, Except we get a couple of months of growing season there. Yeah, I really, I was having such envy yesterday in that market for all of the different stone fruits. Well, this has been another really great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting Thanks me be for here. joining us. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. You can watch this episode on YouTube and see more behind-the-scenes content by following us. Find us on Instagram by searching at Ingredient Insiders.